morning, good morning, good morning. It gives me great pleasure to welcome you back once again to Fighting Fire with Fire, the AJ Roadshow. At time of recording, it is the morning. I think this is the first time I've ever recorded a podcast in the morning on April, excuse me, May 18th, 2017. And there is so much to talk about, as there always is. But I'm going to focus on one particular topic today, and that is what's happened over the last couple days with the Boston Celtics. I wanted to do a disclaimer at the beginning and say that I do want to get around to talking about the just overwhelming amounts of crap that are that is hitting the fan with the Trump administration. However, I think that in especially given that I'm recording this between 9 and 10 in the morning, that during the time that I'm recording this podcast, more crap is going to hit the fan that I couldn't possibly update you guys in real time about. So I want to make sure that a lot of stuff happens today, read up on it, and make sure that I have my thoughts intelligently articulated and thought out before I just spew them into this microphone and onto these podcasts because there's just so much going on with good old Donnie and his tiny hands that and Michael Flynn and Russia and etc cetera, etc cetera, that I don't want to focus on that right this very moment. What I do want to focus on is my beloved Boston Celtics who were soundly trounced by the Cleveland Cavaliers last night 117 to 104 and it was not nearly that close at home at the TD Garden, my dad and I were in attendance. We actually sat one row in front of Cavs general manager David Griffin, who I've been lucky enough to meet before when I was sitting in those exact seats. He is a remarkably nice, gregarious man who will talk to you know fans of an opposing team as opposed to some of the other GMs who we've talked to sitting in those seats. And I congratulated my dad and I congratulated him on both last year and this year. And he congratulated us as fans on having the number one pick in the NBA draft. He said, I'm not happy for the team, but I'm happy for you guys, which I thought was hilarious. So a shout out to David Griffin. My dad and I, uh, my dad was overconfident and thought that the Celtics were actually going to give the Cavs a run for their money last night. I was sort of resigned to the Celtics' fate after they won a wonderful Game 7 over the Washington Wizards on Monday night, 115-105. to Kelly Olenek had the game of his life. Isaiah Thomas had 29-12. and And I said, well, this is going to be the crowning achievement for the Celtics this year because I don't think that they even have a puncher's chance against Cleveland. And last night did nothing to assuage those feelings. LeBron looked like he was bored uh, as he scored 38 points in 42 minutes. The fact that LeBron casually played 42 minutes in a game that was a blowout the entire second half speaks to the kind of rest that he's gotten over the last couple weeks and how good and rejuvenated he feels. Kevin Love also carved the Celtics up to the tune of 32 points. I think he hit seven three-pointers. And casually, Tristan Thompson, although the box score might not show it, might have been the most dominant Cavalier after LeBron. He absolutely eviscerated the Celtics on the offensive glass, as he is wont to do to any team he plays against. And the Celtics had little answer for any of the things that the Cavs were doing offensively. Kyrie didn't even have to do a thing. And the Cavs didn't even hit that many threes. So it really didn't feel like the Cavs played their best game. And they still absolutely manhandled the Celtics. One thing that I think the Celtics can do to at least not get just blown off the floor in Game 2 on Friday is they can't let LeBron switch his defender in a pick and roll so easily. I think that when he does a pick and roll as the primary ball handler and the Celtics just simply switch and put whatever defender is the 
the other guy in the pick and roll onto LeBron. LeBron simply backs up and then takes the guy to the rim. He did that to Kelly Olynyk several times, and he looked very casual doing it. The other thing about LeBron is, and I said this to my dad as we were watching the game, that I don't think that he needs to take a single jump shot this entire game, <laughs> this entire series, because he can just get to the rim anytime he wants as easily as snapping his fingers. It is the most disheartening just incredible thing to see. I, I, I'll i never get tired of seeing LeBron in person. He's otherworldly. And the ease with which he gets to the rim, physically overpowering everybody, is mesmerizing. And he did it to Al Horford. He did it to Marcus Smart. He did it to Jalen Brown. He did it to Kelly Olynyk. He did it to Jay Crowder. He did it to every single Celtics player that was defending him on any given possession. And... I, I hold out little hope that the Celtics can win two games in this series. And in fact, if they don't win game two, they'll likely be swept. So I hope that whatever ace in the hole Brad Stevens has, I'm not even sure what that is, other than starting Jalen Brown in place of Amir Johnson, so that you have a starting lineup of Isaiah, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, Jalen Brown, and Horford, then I, I, I don't know what adjustments you can possibly make against this Cavs team that can go small without sacrificing their ability to go in the post because Kevin Love can be a small ball four or even five and then post up whatever smaller defender the Celtics put on him as he did with Marcus Smart multiple times. And I I really have loved this Celtics team in this Celtics season, but they seem thoroughly outclassed by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Another thing I wanted to touch on regarding the NBA playoffs is what's happening in the Western Conference Finals as the Golden State Warriors are up 2-0 on the San Antonio Spurs. And in Game 1, when Kawhi Leonard rolled his ankle because Zaza Pachulia's foot was underneath him when he landed shooting a three-pointer, uh, I think that the series more or less ended on that play even though Kawhi stayed in the game to hit the free throws to put the Spurs up 78 to 55 early in the third quarter I think for most NBA fans who have watched this Warriors team and watched the Spurs on the minutes when Kawhi sits that no amount of sort of Spurs culture and system and everybody playing team first pass first basketball was gonna be able to stand the onslaught of Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and it was painful to watch the Warriors come back and take that game because the Spurs, if they were going to win the series, if they were going to truly compete with the Warriors, needed to win that game and needed Kawhi not to roll his ankle again. There was a lot of debate as to whether Zaza Pachulia's play was dirty, and I think it was. But then again, I'm someone who loves to see Zaza as a villain because he has the perfect name and face to be a villain, Zaza Pachulia. And I just don't think that that happens in basketball by accident that often and I sound like the most biased person in the world because I I do think that there was an accident when Al Horford did it to Markeith Morris in game one of the Celtics Wizards series when Markeith Morris rolled his ankle because he landed on Horford's foot and in response in game two as the Warriors just demolished the Spurs and blew them straight out of Oracle Arena LaMarcus Aldridge in a very I thought petty and dirtier move than Zaza really uh, put his foot underneath Durant's put his foot underneath Durant's foot when Durant was shooting a three-pointer and Durant smartly in the post game Durant did not roll his ankle and smartly in the post game just dismissed it as you know a big man having a tough time closing out and I don't know whether he was doing that because him and LaMarcus Aldridge both went to Texas or because he simply is trying to avoid 
uh, uh, condemning LaMarcus and then by default condemning Zaza. I think that Durant did the very smart thing, especially in light of what Greg Popovich said after game or in between game one and two when he just went hard, uh, spit flames, just straight, straight fighting fire with fire from Greg Popovich talking about how it was it was a big deal and how it, it in so many it, that was Greg the closest that Greg Popovich will ever come to admitting yeah that was the series and now we don't have any chance and it's because this guy did this dirty play and injured our best player I still I I'm hoping that Kawhi can come back and the Spurs can get one of these games in San Antonio just so we don't have both the Warriors and Cavs potentially go sweep 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 on the way to the finals because this has been the worst NBA playoffs that I can remember in a long time. And it's going to take kind of another all time classic finals to make up for it, which I don't think is going to happen because I think the Warriors are going to beat the Cavs pretty soundly. I don't know how I can say that after watching what they did to the Celtics last night, but I still believe that. And it's, it's a bummer because I think that good playoff series in basketball are the best playoff series. I think that it's better than a great baseball series and even better than a great hockey series. Side note, hockey is foolproof. The hockey playoffs are great every single year, and this year is no exception. And I am sort of, because we're down to Nashville Predators, Anaheim Ducks in the West, and the Pens and the Senators in the East, I'm kind of rooting for the Nashville Predators, which I know is a little bit of heresy to say as a Bruins fan because P.K. Subban, who used to torment the Bruins as a member of the Montreal Canadiens, is on the Nashville Predators. But, you know, that is neither here nor there. We're not here to talk, go deep on hockey, although I might do a Stanley Cup Finals preview with a couple of friends once the conference finals in hockey are over. But I also wanted to talk about the NBA event that happened in between Game 7 of Celtics Wizards and Game 1 of Celtics Cavs, and that was the NBA Draft Lottery, which happened on Tuesday night. And to much to my delight and the delight of Celtics fans everywhere, the Celtics, with the Brooklyn Nets' pick, now have the number one pick in the 2017 NBA Draft next month, where they will hopefully select Washington guard Markel Fultz. Now... The Celtics also have the option of trading that pick. However, in light of the kind of prospect that Markel Fultz is, uh, and given where the NBA is going, I think that he'd be perfect and that he'd be the most enticing toy, not to not to just objectify Markel Fultz, but he'd be the coolest toy that Brad Stevens has ever had to experiment with as Celtics head coach, and I think that he could be the point guard in Boston for the foreseeable future once Isaiah Thomas starts to decline, or if the Celtics want to just go into next year, let it ride with Isaiah and pay him you know, pennies on the dollar for one more year and then let him go rather than giving him the, the max, although I think the Celtics, after what Isaiah has done in this playoff run, are inclined to give him that five-year, 200-ish million dollar max, which would be, you know borderline cataclysmic in the fourth and fifth year of that deal because Isaiah is going to be a 33, 34 year old point guard in those years. But this is a loaded draft. And the fact that you've got Celtics, then the Lakers, then the 76ers, then the Suns, then the Kings as your top five and a bunch of these prospects after Markel Fultz. I think there's a little bit of a gap between Fultz and the rest of these guys, but the rest of these guys all have serious all-star potential from Lonzo Ball, uh, who it seems all signs point to him being drafted by the Lakers number two overall. Uh, I know that LeVar Ball uh, is is going to continue to 
to talk and talk and talk as long as ESPN and FS1 and a lot of the different uh, media give him a platform. I think that what he said to Christine Leahy on Colin Cowherd's show was not the most respectful of things. However, I don't think that Christine Leahy and Jason Whitlock said the most respectful things about LeVar Ball. And so I'm not nearly as upset with LeVar Ball as I am with uh, most people who say disrespectful things uh, to other media heads on air, particularly if a uh, man says disrespectful things to a woman. But I don't think necessarily that uh, uh, what LeVar Ball said had more to do with the fact that Christine Lee, he's a woman than the fact that she said something that LeVar Ball took as a slight. I think if Christine Lee, he was a guy and had said, you know, accused LeVar Ball of being a bad father and of, you know, she said that his kids are terrified of him. And that is more or less accusing LeVar Ball of child abuse. And so, I think whether Christine Lee was a man or a woman, that Ball would have been icy to her as he was, icy and dismissive of her as he was to her on air. Uh, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I think that it's just, you know, the, the FS1 and ESPN sort of have to sleep in the bed that they make for themselves when they give Ball this kind of platform. And I don't necessarily want to talk about him that much because I'd rather talk about Lonzo but it'll be easier to talk about Lonzo once he gets drafted and goes to play for a team presumably the Lakers and plays well we would hope I hope that Lonzo plays well I think his shot uh is going to be problematic because of his shooting form but hopefully it's a problem he can solve the Celtics uh uh if they draft Markel Fultz can put him with Isaiah Thomas. That's one solution to the, oh, you can't have Isaiah and Markel Fultz on the same team problem because Markel Fultz shot 41% from three on five attempts a game at Washington, which is a an eye-poppingly good number. And a lot of those threes were not super wide open because a bunch of them were off the dribble. And I think he could be an elite catch-and-shoot uh, three-point shooter as well. So he could do he could fit into whatever role the Celtics need for him. And he's a guy, he's finally, 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 finally the second guy uh, other than Isaiah who the Celtics could simply say, hey, go get us a bucket, young fella. And I think there are a couple guys like that in this draft. Jason Tatum is potentially one of those guys. And so is Lonzo. And I, I, I'm super interested to see if the 76ers, let's say that Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball go one and two to the Celtics and Lakers, that the 76ers could potentially draft De'Aaron Fox out of Kentucky, who was my favorite player in the country to watch last year. Not just because he's left-handed, not just because he has a great name, De'Aaron Fox, but because he has just that ultra-competitiveness, which you love to see out of college players. I thought that the post-game interview after they lost in the Elite Eight was when he, him and Bam Adebayo were very emotional and he was crying and saying how he loved his teammates was exactly what you want to see out of a guy in college. And he's ultra athletic. And like we said, a lefty who had showed a propensity for getting to the rim. And that's just something you totally want in your guard, your, especially your point guard in today's NBA. Unfortunately, he and Josh Jackson, who are both top five prospects are not great shooters, but when you're that athletic and that competitive and Josh Jackson is not a point guard, but he's a great versatile could potentially guard the one through the four 
at the NBA level. They're dudes who are com- competitive and athletic enough to just sort of figure it out. And if, especially if they go to the right system with the right head coach, then they will excel as pros and make all-star teams. And I think that after, after Markel Fultz, who I think is the surest bet in this draft, I think in some order the next surest bets have to be Josh Jackson because of his defensive upside, Jason Tatum because of his offensive upside, and then De'Aaron Fox. I think Lonzo is a bit more of a wild card but has a higher upside than any of those guys because he has a chance to just sort of revitalize any team that he goes to and make that team a great offensive powerhouse because of his creativity and kind of how contagious it is. It's just a really exciting draft. And then the next tier of guys after that, uh, Dennis Smith, Jonathan Isaac, uh, this guy Markinen from Arizona. It, it, it's just going to be a really fun draft, and I'm very glad that the Celtics have the number one pick. I hope they don't trade it. I hope they draft Markel Fultz. And uh, that is that for the NBA draft lottery. I am really excited for the Celtics to uh, you know, see what they cook up, if they want to trade it for Jimmy Butler or Paul George, which I'd be against, by the way, or if they want to you know, package a bunch of picks together to try and entice the Knicks for Chris Tapp's Porzingis, you know, a guy can dream, right? So the only other thing that we could feasibly talk about today is previewing the finals between the Warriors and Cavs, but as a sign of respect for both the Spurs and the Celtics, I'm going to hold off on that until we actually come to the NBA finals. Uh... I do think that you can more or less pencil it in from here. I would be flabbergasted if either the Cavs or Warriors got taken to a Game 7 at this point. Um, I certainly hope that that would happen, both as a Celtics fan and someone whose favorite player in the NBA is Kawhi Leonard, who's loved the Spurs, who thinks that this may very well be the last run for Manu Ginobili. But I I just don't see it happening. I think uh, we said it in October, and we'll say it again, that the Cavs and Warriors are on a collision course for their rubber match. And I can't wait for the finals to start. Let's hope that the Celtics and Spurs both do not get swept and both show some fight. But on that note, I'm going to end this solo podcast because that is about as much as I can possibly talk uninterrupted by myself. We're at about 18 minutes right now. So I'll leave you with this. If you want to get in contact with the show, there are several ways to do so. As always, you can listen to all episodes of Fighting Fire with Fire at soundcloud.com slash fighting fire with fire. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes, unless you're going to give us a bad rating and review, in which case, you know, we'd rather not hear that. We'd rather hear it from you that you enjoyed the show. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at the AJ Rose show. You can get in touch with us on Gmail ajroshow at gmail.com or on Facebook, facebook.com slash the AJ Rose Show. Leave us a comment. I really would love to hear from people. Do you think that the Celtics or Spurs can compete in either of these series? Do you think that the Celtics should keep the number one overall pick? Do you think they should draft Markel Fultz? Should they trade it? If so, for whom? And do you think that the Lakers are going to draft Lonzo Ball number two, knowing that he comes with a lot of baggage in the form of his father, LeVar. And as an added bonus, uh, do you think that, just as just as a side bet, we'll, we'll come full circle back to my preamble from before we got into the basketball, which is, do you think that our beloved, uh, uh, <laughs> our beloved commander-in-chief, Donald Trump, is going to make it to the end of the year as president? I would say yes. I think he's going to make it all four years uh, because I think that the vertebra 
of Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, who are deeply evil, corrupt people. Those vertebra uh, are not there. They're simply too spineless and and too partisan to get that, that man out of office. And we will talk about that some more another time. So for AJ Rose, I'm AJ Rose, and this has been Fighting Fire with Fire, and we will see you guys next time. Cheers. <laughs>